Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Russ Terry, founder and CEO of Life Coach Radio Network. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free audiobook when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. That's audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. And now, here's today's show. Hello, everyone. How does adoption touch your life? Do you have any friends, family, or colleagues who are adoptees or parents of adoptees? Have you ever considered adoption? In what ways can adoption impact your life? Today, we're having an in-depth discussion around the adoption option, and I'm really excited to have two accomplished guests with me on the show today, Leanne Parsons and Brian Reinthaler, both adult adoptees. I'm your host, Jan Jaffe. Welcome to Your Best Life. Brian Reinthaler is the founder of Against the Grain Coaching, a provider of career and life coaching for New York City attorneys. Brian, a graduate of the University of Notre Dame and Georgetown University Law Center, spent four years as corporate law firm associate and seven years as a job search consultant for a leading Manhattan search agency before launching his a coaching business in December of 2013. Leanne Parsons is the Walk Your Talk coach, CEO of Legacy Now Lived, a national speaker, radio host, and a conscious adoption advocate. She's a certified life, leadership, and relationship restoration coach, and also certified uh, a certified life coach by IPEC, Institute of professional excellence in coaching. I'm so excited and honored to have both Leanne and Brian on today's show. Welcome. Thank you, Jan. It's great to be here. Oh, thank you, yeah, Brian. It's, it's wonderful honor. to have you. And thank you, Leanne. It's great to have you here, too. The number here is 646-716-9397. We welcome your calls, questions, comments, and contribution to the discussion. We love your participation. The number again is 646-716-9397. So let's just get into this topic, shall we? Leanne, I know that you work with adoptees as a coach. Would you mind elaborating for our listening audience a little about what you do? Sure. So I do work with those in what I like to call the tapestry of adoption. So not just adoptees per se, but I also work with birth or first parents and adoptive parents. And what I do, Jan, is I really help them navigate the complexities of an adoption experience. I help them find out what is blocking them from engaging in a real rich and honest and authentic and even vulnerable way with those in their families and in their sphere of influence. Oftentimes, adoption affects us and impacts us in ways that we have never even imagined. And as we get older and kind of do this thing called life, different things pop up for us. And perhaps some of those might be related, some of the challenges might be related to the fact that we have adoption as part of our story. Mm. That's so interesting that you that you say that. And the work that you do is, is just, it's fascinating and it's so valuable. Um, I, I love that you said, uh, the way you put it, that you navigate the complexities of the adoption experience. And the tapestry of adoption uh, is is that it includes so many, not just the adoptees, but anyone uh, who's involved in it, family, the, the parents, and people just considering it. Um, so I'm curious, with the work that you do, Leanne, what would you say is the difference between adoption coaching and therapy? Oh, great question. 
You know, therapy spends a lot of time kind of getting to the root issue from the past of what's really kind of going on, some of the trauma, the grief and loss issues that tend to pop up for those who have been impacted by adoption. And, you know, I'm definitely not a therapist. I am not a counselor, but I am a very passionate and trained professional coach. And as a coach, what I bring to the table that maybe could be a little bit unique is a peek behind the curtain, so to speak, on the identity issues. We acknowledge in my coaching practice kind of the foundation of what's underlying and speaking into our lives when it comes to the different voices that we've heard in the adoption community. There are a lot of limiting beliefs, assumptions, and interpretations surrounded around adoption because of the media, because of what we've been told or taught, books that we've read, articles, and people that we've talked to. And so what I love to do is get to the heart and ask everybody that I work with, Jan, is what is it like to be you? What's it like to be a birth mom or dad? What is it like to be an adoptee? What is it like to be an adoptive parent? Because oftentimes that gets dismissed as a key component or a thread in our lives that really provides a lens at which we look to look at the world, our relationships, and our culture at large. So I kind of, yeah, I guess I have to say peel back those layers and that whole navigating piece. I really help people establish an anchor to keep them from drifting through life and really start living their life. And, and so I could go on and on. Mm-hmm. with different metaphors, because I love metaphors. But, you know, I think that we have millions and millions of people impacted by adoption in this world. I mean, think about it. We have, for sure, the first that we've mentioned, the birth families, the adoptive families and the adoptee, but we also have aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, right, neighbors, teachers, social workers, hospital workers, all of those folks come into play when we talk about the adoption arena. And so part of the fun is, for me, is raising that awareness and providing an educational platform where people can start living healthy lifestyles. Wow. So that you really clarified that. I love that. And you talked, first of all, I, since I know you, I've, I don't know if our listening mm-hmm. audience knows you, I, I, I knows this, but I'm, I'm very fortunate to know and work with uh, the two of you in, in different uh, forms. But, um, you know, I know that Leanne is incredibly passionate and, and full of integrity and uh, just really, and, and love, and really doesn't do something unless she is she's there a hundred percent or a thousand percent so when you say you're passionate i know you're really passionate about what you do and um so you you speak about um the about underlying the the un, some of the underlying um issues and one of them being loss i think that's what you said is that what you said the root issue of loss Absolutely. Yeah, that grief and loss issue, some people kind of Mm -hmm. forget that, you know, adoption is a beautiful thing, and it does build families in a non-traditional way that's incredibly wonderful, but it does, it's not dismissive or absent of grief and loss, actually on all parts um, of the tapestry. Mm. Right, that's that's a, another huge topic because the parents themselves, um, the adoptive parents themselves generally, not always, but generally or often, let's put it that way, often come to adoption as, as an option um, because they have been trying for a long time to conceive and they're not, they find that they are not able to, they're not able to uh, conceive naturally, they're not able to conceive uh, with, even with, um, with, you know, medical help. Um, and there's often a lot of uh, self, you know, guilt and shame around that and uh, self-recriminations uh, and, you know, all sorts of things. So there is their, their grief and loss. 
and of course there is the the grief and the loss um, that the adoptees feel, uh, not knowing where they belong in the world. So I also was really fascinated by what you said when you said, what is it like to be you? Um, and also talking about what you do, you kind of, you know, peel back the layers of the onion, so to speak. So, and, and you also mentioned the limiting beliefs and the interpretations and the assumptions. So I know this is a lot. I'm, I'm putting all of this back at you. But I'm, for our listening audience, I wonder if you can address a couple of those things that you mentioned, what, where, you know, what is it like to be you? And also so that our listening audience has a better understanding as well um, about what you might mean or if you can explain or define for our listening audience what limiting beliefs, assumptions, and interpretations are. So those were two things. I was asking you to define those for our listening audience who may not know what those are. And also when you said, what is it like to be you, you know, what, what that would kind of bring up for the people you work with. Oh, absolutely. You know, one thing that I found, Jan, on my journey called life is that oftentimes we're so afraid to ask people questions that get to the heart of the matter, right? And so especially if they've experienced some sort of a grief or loss issue in their lives, we kind of tiptoe around it and we're not quite sure how to approach them. And I am such a curious gal. It's not something that I have to work at, right, to be curious. It's just, it's part of how I was created. And so learning to ask questions that are encouraging and empowering and inspirational to the answerer and to the listener to your question is a task that those of us who are in a healing modality or in a helping modality, we love to be able to learn to do that well. And as I am working specifically with the adoption community and beyond, I've asked them many different kinds of questions, and sometimes I did it so incredibly poorly that I just, you know, <laughs> I just I could, like, re- push the rewind button, right, and go, oh, let me just take all of that back. And I'm so sorry that I phrased it that way. And I've learned from those examples and very grateful for that. The other part of it is learning from the example of when I've done it well. And what I have found is to come in and give somebody the time to explore what it's really like to be them by asking them that question, pushing the pause button for them is very powerful. Because I know in my world as an adoptee, that is one question that I was never asked growing Mm. up. Even when I did some therapy with a counselor, was never asked that question. And it wasn't until I dove very, very deeply in my own healing journey and the modality of energy coaching that I understood more about the power of that question, what is it like to be you? And so now mm. it's kind of a question I ask all over the board. So, you know, I definitely wanted to give that a little bit of space because when we ask them what's it like to be you, we're not putting any judgment or preconceived ideas, or again, like I mentioned, those um, little beliefs that we can hold, right, or some assumptions. And so I wanted to just give you a chance to, you know, kind of chew on that a little bit and see what questions you have before we move on to the other areas of those, like, three energy blocks that can keep us pretty stuck. Well, thank you. I, I that's that's just the way that you put that, and you, that just the fact that you recognized that this is a question that's really important that no one, including a therapist, ever asked you is brilliant, and it speaks to the work that you've done on yourself and I and your you know your incredible insight and intuition and your big heart, including to to yourself. So I think that is that is you know such a gift that you're sharing with us. So thank you very very much, and, and that's a question that I will remember to ask people I work with as well. So thank you so much for that, and I would love if you would. 
um, delve into those energy blocks that we had just mentioned so that our listening audience understands that because it's so often that we do refer to assumptions, interpretations, and especially limiting beliefs. So please explain away. Oh, sure. I'd be honored to. Thanks, Jan. And thanks for honoring that question as well because that, you know, help me understand what it's like to be you is how freeing is that, right? Even as I say it again and hear you talk about it and just really experience what that's like, I get super jazzed. So thanks. <laughs> oh, anyway, I to say that. So when it comes to limiting belief, so limiting belief is a belief that holds you back, right? It can hold you back from a conversation. It can hold you back as an adoptee. It can hold you back from searching for your biological family or making out or making, uh, reaching out, sorry, to your adoptive family with questions that you might have about them and about their lives, right? So the limiting belief is something that you don't believe is even possible if you're going to attempt it. And guess what I believe? If you don't believe it is even possible, you very well may not even attempt it. And if you do attempt it, you're not going to put a lot of energy or passion or commitment into it. And so, you know, limiting belief is a belief about the world. It could be a belief about your adoption journey or whatever is part of your story. It could be a belief about the environment that you live in. It could be a belief about politics. We're certainly in the heart of that right now. Or it could be a belief about the people that are all around you that stand in your way. So does that help? Mm-hmm. So in other words, an example would be for an adoptee something like um, adopted children are never as well-loved as biological children. That would be a limiting Very belief. Right? Excellent. Way to yeah. go, Coach Jan. Yes. <laughs> and there is a well, lot I'm just of... Saying, Go on. Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot. I mean, we can have limiting beliefs. We could give examples all day of limiting beliefs in different areas. But as far as adoption, I mean, and that's such an ugly statement. It sounds ugly, but I I think it's it's a limiting belief that's not uncommon um, for you know for almost everyone. Um, you know, it's it's something. I shouldn't say it's a limiting belief for everyone, but it's it's something we've all heard. This myth. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's and a then, lot of myths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so how would an an assumption in in the world of adoption, for example, sound? So we could explain that to the listening audience as well. Sure. Do you want to, uh, me to define what we would, how I define assumptions, or do you want to sure. go ahead and, and tell our listeners what an assumption is from our perspective? Sure. Why don't you go ahead? Sure. So an assumption basically boils down to this. It's believing that because something happened in the past, it's going to happen again. Mm. And these are a little bit more personal than, say, a limiting belief would be because it intimately involves us right, as a person. So there's a little more energy on that. And let's see, an assumption might be, hmm, how about, oh, this would be a big one. My my adopted child will never love me completely. That could be an assumption. Um, because they are adopted my child, I will never connect with them in a healthy way. Mm. Um, Or another one maybe is I will not be able to motivate. Here's one that an adoptee can make. I will not be able to motivate my family to help me get medical information that I desire if I am afraid to get that information myself. Mm. Okay. And or something like um because uh because that child in the playground or or I know because that m- mother in the in the playground uh said that um my child uh 
is not is won't isn't as connected to me as her biological child is connected to her and because of that everyone's going to feel the same way. Mm, well said. Absolutely. Right, that's and those can an really assumption. boy those can mm-hmm, they can right. realize. And they're not, you know, it's not based on truth. It's based on, an, you know, because something happened before, it's going to happen again kind of thing, right? And then if you wouldn't mind just, quick, you know, quickly defining for our, our listening audience what interpretations are, how they differ. Mm-hmm. So an interpretation, it, it, I often say false because so often we go to that default place of the mm-hmm. negative. Right? So when we are interpreting or applying an interpretation to a particular circumstance, we create an opinion about an event or a situation or an experience. And so, and then we start looking all around us for evidence to support that. Mm. Okay? So it's really huge. And so within, I would love to hear, because your insight as an interviewer is so beautiful, Jan. I would love to hear what you think. (laughs) You're welcome. But I would love to hear what you think an interpretation might be within the sphere of adoption. Yeah. Okay. Um, So let's see. Something, because the way I see it is it's, it's our truth versus what's actually true. And it's kind of based on the filter that we're wearing, you know, the filter that we see the world through. So, for example, um, I'll go back to an adopted child. Um, Somebody, let's say the teacher uh, is having a bad day, but, you know, comes maybe had a fight that morning with their spouse and uh, comes into class in the the morning, first thing in the morning, and... um, the child, the adopted child, as as they're coming in, says hello to the teacher, very you know friendly and with a smile. And the teacher barely lifts their eyes and sort of grumbles at them, hello. And the adopted child immediately thinks, oh well, the teacher doesn't like me because I'm adopted. That's mm-hmm. got to be because mm-hmm. I'm adopted. The teacher, because then after maybe ten minutes later, somebody else comes in and the teacher is more friendly. But at that point, when the teacher first comes in, they're they're distracted, but the child only sees that the teacher has been gruff to them and then is not the same way to someone else 10 minutes later, so assumes that's the interpretation that this child uh, is, is sensing. So that's that child's truth where it may, uh, it's what's true for that child may not be the actual truth of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And we, all, we do that a lot in our lives anyway, um, very often we you know we see something and we interpret it according to our own the lenses that we wear the filter that we see the world through so um i don't know what do you think of that do you think that's a a decent example oh my word from somebody who is not an adopted child <laughs> or an adopted <laughs> adult you like nailed it Right. Thank you. Because that is one. I just love that. I love that you played with that, and you let me ask you because it's the world's perception that is mm-hmm. that I, you know, that's what I try and do is raise that awareness about what's really going on for us as adopted kiddos, because whether we're an adopted kiddo or we're an adopted fifty-year-old uh, like me, yeah, it, you know, it doesn't matter. Those issues are still there. And yes, ma'am, that's a huge interpretation. Yes. Okay. Yes. So that this way, that. thank you. And this way, at least our audience, the reason I wanted to spend some time on that is because I think we, we will probably be mentioning those terms again. And by defining it and making it really clear to our audience, um, I think people will have a much greater understanding of this conversation. So, um, Brian, I know you've been very, very, very patient, and I apologize for having you sit there, but I know you're a wonderful listener as well. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts regarding relationships and emotional intimacy and how it differs for adoptees versus biological offspring. Wow, that's a, that's a, that's a big question to shift into, Jan. I think I think um, <laughs> you know, I I, I I tell you, I think the um, 
I think the, the the conversation that that we're having here around interpretations may apply to some extent. I just wanted to say about that before I go on to address the relationship mm-hmm. intimacy question that the thing about interpretations, the last term that, that, that you and Leanne were discussing, is yes, you know, we tend to see things through whatever filter we bring to a situation. So if someone approaches us in a certain way, their intentions and our perceptions of what their intentions are may be very different because we're interpreting it based on what we brought into that situation. But the really cool thing uh, at, from, from a coaching perspective about interpretations is the reality that we have a choice. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and, and the, the shift that I think we've seen a lot of our clients have um, is in helping them to see that their interpretation is but one of a hundred or a thousand possible interpretations of the situation. And so it's not so much a matter of going from, uh, you know, the teacher doesn't like me because I'm adopted to, you know, you know the teacher likes me or the teacher doesn't like me for some other reason. It's, you know, this person came into the room and acted this way. And as a child, this may be hard, but certainly as, a, as, a, mm-hmm. as an adolescent or an adult, you, you can begin to see, you know, there are a lot of reasons why someone may interact with me the way they do um, that have nothing to do with me. Uh, and so because there are so many possibilities, I can actually choose the one that allows me to feel, you know, confident and strong and empowered in that situation. Um, so and I wanted and I wanted to address that before I got into the relationship intimacy question because from my perspective, the filters I guess that I've um, brought to the conversation and to this point in my life as an adoptee, it's hard for me to make a distinction and say this is how an adoptee uh, will respond in a certain relationship or intimacy setting as compared to a non-adoptee. First of all. I haven't lived in the shoes of a non-adoptee, so I can't necessarily speak to that. Mm-hmm. But I think my experience as an adoptee, in large part, um, from childhood through adolescence and, and adulthood now, I'm almost 40, um, has not been one of, um, uh, in my experience, it has not been one of uh, difficulty or trauma or um feeling somehow either less loved or or different than everyone else. The, 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 the overwhelming experience of being an adoptee for me um, and getting to Leanne's question of, you know, what is it like to be you, has been mm-hmm. that it's almost entirely unremarkable in a lot of ways <laughs> because it's my life, right? And so my perspective, my interpretation as a child and then how, how, as, as that has evolved is that, being adopted is no big deal. Now, that may be because of how young I was adopted. I was adopted when I was only six days old. Um, and I was always told that people used to ask me growing up, getting to Leanne's question of what's it like to be you, um, people used to ask me what is it like to be adopted. Or kids would have what, what might seem as an adult very insensitive questions about it. But I always found them kind of silly. Um, what do you mean? What does it feel like? It, 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 you, know, uh, you know, I'm your classmate in school, or your teammate on the soccer team, or it, I, I, I don't know how I would feel different than you do. You know, they say, who are your real parents? They say, the ones who are picking me up from school today mm-hmm. are my real parents. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't want to diminish what is certainly a very diverse range of experiences that adoptees have. Um, you know, in a conversation that you, Leanne, and I had recently that was one of the overarching themes is that there is not one life experience that can be said to be uh, universal to adoptees. Their adoptees, I think, are as diverse as any other segment of the population. Um, but as it relates to relationships, as it relates to um, how we approach these things, the one noteworthy thing about the experience of being adopted to me has been in the relationship I have with my children. Um, and in in having children, having biological children now, um, being adopted has become a more interesting aspect of my life experience. And so that, for me, is the one and, and the only immediately recognizable way I could say that my life is clearly distinguished from uh, that of my brother and sister, for example, who are biological children of our parents. 
Okay, so um, you know, you said your relationship with your children. Would you mind um, elaborating a little bit on that? Actually, you know what? I'm, I'll get back to that in just a moment. But here on the Life Coach Radio Networks, we're proud to have as our sponsor Audible.com. Audible.com is the leading provider of premium digital spoken audio information and entertainment on the Internet, offering customers a new way to enhance and enrich their lives every day. Audible is the preeminent provider of spoken word audio products, which include more than 100,000 audio programs from more than 1,800 content providers. Receive a free audiobook with your 30-day trial when you sign up with Audible today at audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. That's audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. Um, Here are some Audible books related to today's topic. One Perfect Day, A Mother and Son's Journey of Adoption and Reunion, written by Diane Burke, and Adoption Healing, A Path to Recovery, written by Joseph Saul. So don't forget to sign up for a one-month free trial to get your free audiobook today at audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. Audible.com, making listening a tool for life. And now back to our show and back to Brian. So um, what I was curious about, first of all, was you mentioned your relationship with your children being uh, very important to you. And so I was curious if you can elaborate a little bit on that. And also, how does um, these, you know, your, how would you say uh, your relationships as an adult uh, and emotional int- intimacy, how does being adopted, if at all, translate in any way into your adult and other intimate relationships? Okay, so I think I think I'll take them in reverse order because I think I have more insight to offer on the on the first question. So I'll I'll try okay. to address the second one first. Which what I would say is, um, and perhaps to reiterate um, the point about what it's like to be me as an adoptee. Um, I don't know if there is a way that I could identify um, that my closer or intimate relationships or interactions um, are affected by my own identity as an adoptee. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know that, I don't know, it, I, I, certainly I don't rule out the possibility that, that, that they exist, but um, in my experience, I don't spend much of my time, um, really not very much of my time, thinking of myself as an adoptee. Um, you know, I, I have my identity as a coach. I have my identity as a father, a son, a brother, um, you know, a nephew, a friend. Um, and I, I haven't noticed, um, and, but I'll, be, I'll, I'll think about it more going forward, certainly, <laughs> Um, I wonder how this interaction may be affected by my identity as adoptee. But 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 the, the short answer is is no. I, I don't know that I can identify many mm. if any Okay, ways. you know what? I'm going to I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on if that's all right with you. Um, and this is for either of you. Um, there are so many differences and choices in our present times than there were for previous generations. And, for example, I was looking at an adoption website, um, I don't maybe yesterday or the day before, and saw photos of prospective adoptive parents of quite varied ages, you know, from very young to people who looked to be pushing 60 and i you know varied races gay couples of both genders and single women i'm trying to remember if i saw a single man but i definitely saw a number of singles on there also as adoptive parent prospective parents this was unheard of and impossible at least 10 to 20 years ago if not even more recently i haven't to be perfectly honest i haven't checked um uh, in the more recent years, uh, but still, adoption is not only still not available for anyone who wants it, but also is still considered somewhat, 
I guess all I could say would be taboo among many parts of society as though they may not be sure of feeling comfortable with quote unquote resorting to adoption. So Brian, I know you've had some experience in working with women and the adoption option. So I wonder if you can just touch on on that if you if sure. you would. Sure, yeah, you know, there are a number of people I've come across both in my personal and professional um, interactions over the last few years that uh, are either adoptive parents themselves, um, have adopted mm-hmm. uh, infants all the way up through uh, teens, um, who themselves are of maybe what you would call traditional uh, you know, child-rearing age, you know, between the ages of you know, late 20s and late 40s, and others who are, who are older. Um, and the, the, the one, some of the questions we talked about earlier with respect to um, you know, Leanne's discussion of uh, interpretations and limiting beliefs, I found a lot of those examples that we discussed applicable to, to prospective adoptive parents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, questions about what will this relationship with this child be like for me? Will I love this child as much as I would love a biological child? Or will they love me? You know, will we? Will that bond be there? Um, to me, that is the the most interesting and poignant question when it comes to the, the people you're talking about, whether they be single, uh, uh, gay couples, um, you know, single men, single women, uh, people who otherwise wouldn't have had the opportunity before. Now that that does exist. Um, overcoming not only what the societal uh, judgments or interpretations might be about uh, the propriety of a single person adopting a child, you have to, you have, that person who wants a child has to overcome that, but they also have to address th- that, that question internally of, you know, what, how do I think about how, how I will love this child as compared to mm-hmm. a biological child? Uh, and, and I'd love to address what I think the answer to that question most often is, but but I think I'm sure I'm sure Leanne has some insight that she'd like to share. Um, maybe before I go on at any length. Um, okay. Well, actually, I was I I I think you answered it beautifully. I don't know if Leanne has anything she wanted to add about you know I guess some of these the fears because you you seem to list them pretty well the fears associated with adopting. I don't know if you have anything to add on that, Leanne. Yeah, you know, we could talk probably for hours about mm-hmm. fears on in all of the threads, right, in the tapestry of adoption. And mm-hmm. I think one, yeah, thanks for just the invitation to kind of chime in <laughs> on that. I love what Brian just shared about addressing the internals, right? So whether we are an adoptee, a natural or a birth parent or an adoptive parent, we have an opportunity to look at who we are, what makes us tick, where have we been, where do we want to go, when am I willing to face that, why do I have to face all of this, why do I have to step into this arena, right? And then how do I want to navigate that? And I think as coaches, that is something that we absolutely love to do. And then those of us who have had a personal experience of walking in the shoes of an adopted person, of a birth parent or an adoptive parent, we have a completely different perspective and our own set of challenges and beautiful experiences that we can bring to the table. And so the more we can provide an educational platform, the more that we can provide resources, because like you shared, Jan, there is, you know, many populations now that are either making adoption plans for an unplanned pregnancy or crisis pregnancy, or there are very many who are looking to make an adoption plan to adopt because of infertility issues or feeling really led to welcome a child into their home via adoption. And so when we're looking at all this stuff, there's, you know, 500 radio shows, right, that we could totally do um, (laughs) surrounding all of these issues. But I think one important piece is there are some amazing resources out there now for all people involved in the tapestry of adoption. And so, you know, one, I'm in touch with so many 
of them in the work that I do. But just remembering that look for trustworthy resources because there are unethical situations, unethical agencies, unethical lots of stuff. And we know that Google, you can find anything that you're looking for pretty Mm -hmm. much. And I want to encourage our listeners that if, you know, adoption is in your paradigm right now, go to reliable resources in order to get the information that you desire so you can make the best informed decision no matter where you are in the trajectory. And I think that is one thing that is so important that we bring up today because even today in this world that we live in, this information highway, we can think that we have nowhere to turn and so we go to the yellow pages or we go to Google Mm. where there might be somebody right in our community that holds integrity and dignity and has an awareness of what's you know, what is ethical and what is not. Because there, as one of my friends, I just listened to her interview. She runs Family to Family Support Network in Colorado. And she said that there, unfortunately, are still babies being passed at 7-Eleven. Oh, my. Right? And or across state lines, and they shouldn't be. And this is the kind of stuff that absolutely is just really not okay. Mm-hmm. Right, and so and because of our interpretations and all the different things that can come in, a fear can take a hold. And so, but there's a way to reduce that fear. And mm-hmm. again, it's asking those beautiful questions of those who are informed, super knowledgeable, 100% ethical, and full of integrity, in order to guide you in those right directions. And I know I kind of went a little bit off your question, but it really does address that internal piece of, you know, uh, really looking at this through what I like to call a kaleidoscope view. Well, you know, it's very important what you brought up. Yeah, Yeah, it's very Mm. important what you brought up because that is a fear. That is because I I asked what are some of the fears, and that's a huge one. You know, is this actually really legal? There have been so many cases over the years in the news about – um, what some people think are legal, they may that they really have a child, that the child is theirs, and it turns out the child really isn't theirs, and and the child can go back to the mother. I mean, or some of these uh, in, international adoptions in uh, 2004, the rates in the U.S. peaked at almost 23,000 um, because it was unregulated. There were unregulated child custody transfers. And um, and now, uh, because things changed, because, um, let's see, by 2012, rates, um, international adoption rates fell dramatically to um, just under, it was 8,000, I think, 8,668 uh, in 2012, and it was that more countries, it wasn't that the demand was dropping, it was that more countries we're emphasizing family preservation and domestic adoption, and restrictions had gotten tighter as well, which is really important both to protect the biological mothers in these countries because sometimes women were being um, strong-armed to sell their children uh, and mm-hmm. also um, and maybe not even realizing what they were doing. And, and families, the adoptive families, were not aware of what was going on and sometimes were adopting children they thought were healthy, maybe weren't, or children that they thought were really will- willingly given up and were not. So there was there was a lot of fraud, there was a lot of pain involved in these adoptions and I'm I'm glad that um it's it's things seem to be a bit better. Uh countries are now protecting their people and trying to do more internal adoptions. But, of course, that makes things more difficult for uh, couples who want to adopt. Um, So, you know, what can be a hot-button topic among adoptees is the search for biological family, the right to open records, and the need for a blood relative, whether to fill a basic need by the adoptee or, you know, an emotional need of belonging or for the necessary information regarding medical background. So I'm curious, 
whether either of you has been involved in that aspect. And I think I'm going to go actually first with you, Leanne, because I know this is your niche, um, the, you know, working with adoptees as a coach. So I wonder if you wouldn't mind, um, you know, uh, responding. <laughs> sure. No, I'd be honored to. And I love that you brought up the word family preservation because I love that. I'm of the belief that if a family can stay together, let them stay together right, and do and provide the resources that the natural parents, the first parents, however, you know, uh, parents, <laughs> give them what they need so they can parent, right? We have an <laughs> opportunity as a society to come alongside those who are in an unplanned pregnancy to really empower them and help them parent to the best that they can. And so I love that, that family preservation piece. Speaking to the idea of blood relatives, birth records, open records, reunions. Absolutely, this is a huge area I am passionate about. I am an adult adoptee who has been in reunion with my biological family now for half of my life. Hmm. So I am really fortunate that I do have a lot of answers to my medical history on my maternal side. Now, on my paternal side, I do not have my medical history, and that's a bit of a challenge for me sometimes. You know, I've had to have a a lot of unnecessary medical tests because I don't know my medical history. Mm -hmm. I don't have any, you know, where to point on that that, uh, paternal side. So it's a bit of a challenge. So I am a firm and um, active advocate for open records and getting the medical records that so many of us adoptees really desire to seek. And, you know, on that piece, kind of going back, I'm touching into my mama heart here for just a second, but when you talked about that emotional intimacy and blood relatives, you know, Mm -hmm. Jan, the first time I ever met a blood relative of mine was when I gave birth to our firstborn son. And, And that was a really big deal for me. I was 24 years old. I had, you know, so I had gone 24 years with not ever having somebody in my world that I was related to DNA, blood, that I could look at and see a mirror reflection back of myself to say, wow, this is part of my heritage, right? And so it was huge for me. And almost losing him to a preterm birth was pretty traumatic for me. As as a new mom, as an adoptee, there's a lot that came up for me. And so I think that, you know, exploring all of that idea of blood relation, birth records, medical records, all of that is so incredibly important. I didn't know my medical history. I had been asked by my OB, all the nurses in the hospital, you know, is preterm labor in your history, right? Is this, and I'm like, I don't know. I got nothing for you. And so it really put the um, accelerator on in my search to find my biological family so I could get some answers medically. But truthfully, my entire life I always wondered about them, who they were, what they looked like, were they a neighbor, were they a movie star, Uh, you know, all kinds of funny things. I often joke, Jan, and say I used to dream that Olivia Newton-John was my biological mom just because I thought she was pretty and I loved the way she sang. And (laughs) so, you know, know, the funny things, the the imagination and the fantasies that we can go through really do underscore for a lot of us. And obviously, just as Brian spoke to, and I loved it, you know, my story is not everybody's story. But I do hear a lot of common threads as I work within this community so intimately. And uh, so thanks for the opportunity just to share that because it really is, you know, it's a big deal for a lot of us about having Mm -hmm. a blood relative. And now I have a grandson from my son and his wife. And so now I have two generations Mm -hmm. on, you know, my lineage, plus I know my biological family. So, man, between my biological family and my adoptive family, I am a pretty full, enriched woman. And very, very grateful that I have that privilege, but very grieved that there are so many 
that are not able to experience that human rights issue of who they are. I love so, what you just said, human rights issue of who they are. Um, that is that is a beautiful way of putting that. Thank you so much for sharing all of this, Leanne. We could just go on and on and on. I just want to, um, and I know I, I didn't give you a chance to speak on this, uh, Brian. I've got one more quick question. We're running so out of time, but uh, you you kind of you got into it, Leanne, and I just wanted to um, get. Brian's take on this is that, um, you know, I know that um, I've noticed that adult adoptees that I've known have placed extreme importance and a high priority on marriage and producing children. And, in fact, I, I know someone who she was adopted herself, her marriage fell apart, and she has been trying unsuccessfully because she's older, too. She's been trying, she's desperate to adopt. So it's even if if one cannot have that biological connection, that connection is so incredibly important to adoptees, and I'm just your know, family connection, and I'm just wondering. That's what I've noticed anyway. But I'm wondering if that is indeed the case. Um, how you look at it, um, Brian? Uh, I'm just wondering if you have something quick to say on that, because we are sure. so running out of time. We could go on and on with this conversation. It's so, it's it's well, just so enlightening. There, there's no question, Jan. The, the, you know, coming from the perspective of, as an adoptee, um, I can echo a good portion of what Leanne said about um, the prospect of marrying and having children and meeting your first blood relative. Just like Leanne, my my first blood relative was my daughter my first daughter, uh, born back in 2006. Um, and I, I think what I would say about the relationship, both from the perspective of an adoptee who's then becoming a parent as well as a, an adoptee or a non-adoptee who is looking now to adopt, either for biological difficulties in having their own child biologically or, um, or anything else, is that there will be that internal question um, it's very common about how will this relationship look compared to one with a biological child. Um, but I think the thing that is most profound for me is that when I think back to that moment of birth for each of my daughters, uh, as wonderful and overwhelming and exciting as it all was, there was something about it that was very just uh, kind of uh, commonplace, right? This is, a, this is a birth, this is a baby being born, it, 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 it happens to be my baby. Um, but when I look back on that now, uh, almost 10 years later or almost nine years later in the case of my younger daughter, um, that moment now has a profundity, uh, an importance, and a significance that at the time even it, it couldn't have had because of the relationship I now have with each of my girls, um, because mm-hmm. of the people that they're becoming, because of the ups and the downs and the, the idiosyncrasies it's it's all the stuff that happens after they're born to me that makes that relationship and that love so special and so unique and so profound. And, and I think it applies as I look back to my life, um, my very happy, well-loved uh, life um, with, with my parents and my siblings uh, and feeling like, yes, I was special. Yes, I was, you know, first. Yes, I came at a time when my parents were so desperate to have a child, and that made me special. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I had this co- commonality with my brother and sister who were biological children of my parents um, that was based on the, the life that we built together, the life that, that my parents built for us and that, that we grew into and now share. Um, it, it's, it's everything that follows that moment, in my view, that informs how profound that moment of birth is, how profound it was to meet the first blood relative I, I ever knew. Um, and I'm coming at it from a perspective of someone who still has not uh, actively sought a reunion um, with my biological relatives, um, but who is much more interested in it now on behalf of my kids and the information that they will get from that as much as the increased curiosity I now have as an adult and a parent. 
Thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. You know, both of you, when you said the first time you saw a blood relative is when you looked at your newborn child, and, and you know, you'll, I had tears in my eyes. So it's so beautiful. Thank you both so much. We're, you know, we're, there's so much more that we could talk about and so many more questions I have, but we're about at the end of our show. It's just about the top of the hour. So I want to thank my beautiful, fabulous, you know, heart-centered guests, Leanne Parsons and Brian Reinthaler for being on the show today. I've so enjoyed our conversation, and you've taught me so much. Uh, I'm Jan Jaffe of Forward to Success, and it has been my privilege to have been your host today. I'd like to offer our listeners a free 30-minute discovery and strategy session. For any information, you can email me at info at forward to success. And you're also invited to share any comments or feedback on our website, www.lifecoachradionetworks.com. In addition to my solo show, this is the, the interview show, Your Best Life, I also host Think Tank, a roundtable discussion, and I would be delighted if you would join us for the next episode of Think Tank on February 24th at 12 noon Eastern. Leanne, would you care to share any closing thoughts, comments, website, book, or contact information with our listening audience? Sure. Thank you, Jan. You know, I, too, am such a connector, and for me, connection is super important. And as a Walker Talk coach at Legacy Now Live, that is my passion, is to help people connect in healthy ways with the world and the people around them that they care about, and also connecting with themselves at the core of who they are. And you can find out more about me at thewalkyourtalkcoach.com. I also offer a complimentary 30-minute strategy sessions. So please reach out if you have any questions at all regarding adoption well-being, a conscious adoption approach, and really learning what it means to walk your talk and live your legacy every day. I would absolutely consider it an honor and privilege to speak with you. And I think for a closing thought or comment, I would have to say just kind of tagging off of what you and Brian just shared about the blood relative piece. You know, I remember when my second child was born and it was a little girl, Jan, and I looked into her eyes and it was that woman-to-woman connection. Mm. (laughs) And, you know, as much as I love my son and daughter very, very equally, there was something very unique about the birth of each one of my children and looking into their eyes. And that is one of the most beautiful opportunities that we have as human beings is to connect with others, to see each other through another person's eyes. And so I just want to invite our listeners to step into that arena. It's very beautiful. It's very vulnerable, but it is so incredibly worth it. Oh, thank you, Leanne. How beautiful. And it's just it just speaks so much to your heart and who you are. Thank you. Now, Brian, any closing thoughts and contact information you'd like to share? Sure. Um, you know, with my focus uh, working with lawyers, um, particularly centered around their careers, I find that issues of parenthood, whether it be present-day parenthood, pregnancy and anticipated parenthood, or prospective pregnancy, adoption, parenthood, these issues inform so much of the way that we think about our careers and uh, what we really want from our lives. Uh, and so um, if anyone who's interested or, or facing questions or challenges uh, around the intersection of those issues with their career uh, can reach out to me via email at brian, B-R-I-A-N, at A-T-G-Coach. Dot com, um, or you can look me up on my Facebook page, uh, Against the Grain Coaching, um, and I'd be happy to interact with you there as well. Thank you so much, Brian, and thank you both for being on the show today. It's been a real delight. 
Uh, I want to remind our listeners that all of our contact and bio information is listed in today's show description. So if you were not quick enough with your pen or you have any questions, just check the show description after the show and you'll find everything you need. So I'm just going to take a moment to announce a few of our upcoming shows. On this, the Life Coach Radio Network, on February 13th at 10 a.m., reveal your excellence with the on-camera coach, Renee Ellis on February 15th at 9 p.m., Courage to Climb, interview with author Sherry Shoemaker, and on our sister network, the Life Coach Chat Channel, on February 8th at 7 p.m., Married in the City, the myth that marriage after 30 for women is elusive, and on February 22nd at 7 p.m., Happily Married, Lessons from the Pros, I again want to thank my wonderful guests, Leanne Parsons and Brian Reinthaler, for joining me today and making this show a very special one. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.